Hi there, this is Joe Kelly, assistant timpanist and percussionist with the Toronto Symphony, and you're listening to Talkin' Blues. What does it mean that you're an assistant timpanist and percussionist? What does that title mean? Uh, Yeah, it it means that I have a very unique role in the percussion section at the TSO uh, in the sense that, yes, I play the percussion instruments, so, you know, cymbals and snare drum and tambourine, xylophone, all those things, but I also play some timpani. Um, The way that a a percussion section is typically set up, you have a principal percussionist and they're in charge of uh, organizing the repertoire and the instruments and uh, making, giving everybody their part assignments. Uh, so, and for us, that's Charles Settle. Uh, and then there's an assistant principal percussionist um, and that is John Rudolph. And then there's me who is the section percussionist who also plays timpani because there is also a principal timpanist. And the person who plays principal timpani, David Kent, only plays timpani at the TSO. So I basically work on both sides and sort of provide support in the percussion section if they need extra players, or I'll play timpani on a certain repertoire that either the principal doesn't want to play, or in some cases, uh, for example, in um, like Gustav Hulse's The Planets, there are um, two timpani parts. And so I would play the second timpani part. Okay, so... I know that you're a multi-instrumentalist. I guess being a percussionist just automatically makes you a multi-instrumentalist. Yeah. But it's ridiculous how many different instruments you play. And I'm, I'm interested in how you decided to become a percussionist. But I believe you started off as a guitar player. Yeah. So tell me about how music came into your life and how you, you were first playing the guitar. Yeah, sure. Um, I love telling this story because I, I always tell the story when I teach kids or do classroom concerts because I think a lot of people suspect that if you're a member of the symphony, you must have sort of been groomed to live that life and play that music your whole life. Um, And in some cases, maybe that's true. I think certain instruments, you have to really start very young, three or four years old, play the violin or something like that. Um, But my story is different. I started playing guitar, I was six. Um, I honestly can't exactly remember how that came up. I, I'm the only musician in my family. My family loves music, but no one else plays music. Um, and I think I just was like, I want to play music. And so my parents <laughs> bought me a little sort of kids, uh, like Fender acoustic guitar kind of thing and found me a local teacher and his name was Chris something. I can't remember his last name. He was such a nice guy. He'd come and he'd teach me lessons and, and it was fun, you know, once a week, just simple guitar lessons, learned how to read music through him, like read notated music and learned my chords and all that stuff. And uh, after a couple of years with him, uh, he felt like he couldn't really teach me at, beyond the level that I was at. So he actually sent me to his teacher, uh, who's a guy named Walt Bibbinger, uh, who's a jazz guitarist. Uh, I guess he's based in Pennsylvania now. Um We've not been touching quite a while, but yeah. So I moved up to work with Walt. And at the same time, I also loved playing the drums. And I had I had a really like bad drum set and I'd never really had drum lessons. And I, I what I would basically do in terms of like playing drums is I would put on my earbuds, put on some like death metal or whatever I was listening to at the time, probably something heavy. And then I would put on like lawnmower, like ear protectant over the ear headphones. And it made my drum set sound amazing because it took out like any real sound and it made it sound like a really crisp, like studio kit. And I would just like bash along to these albums, my poor parents. Then I'd take my headphones off and hear what the drum sounded like and be like, oh, no, no. And I'd put them back on because it just sounded (laughs) so bad. But needless to say, I wasn't really a good percussionist at that time um sorry what kind of music were you listening to get from the guitar sound point of view what were you trying to play i was 
definitely studying jazz, um, but I was definitely listening to metal and punk rock and, you know, prog metal. And I, I was more into that. Um, I, I loved jazz and I love jazz still, but jazz guitar, it, I don't know, it wasn't something that I really felt deeply connected to. Um, I would almost wish I'd played like a different, like I played trumpet or something like that when I thought about playing jazz. Um, but when I got to high school, I decided to join the marching band. I had a lot of friends because I had started a band at, in grade eight. Um, this band was called Big Joe and the Shades, uh, like <laughs> like sunglasses. And it was like a, it was like a ska, ska punk band. Um, I was Big Joe. I was like the singer and I played guitar. And then we had a bass player and a drum drum set player. And uh, they were all in the marching band. So I was like, yeah, I want to be in the marching band. And they were all in the drum line. And so I like played enough drums that I could audition on the drum line. And I got on into the drum line. And so I was like part of the band program. That was like one of my extracurriculars. So that was where I started to play a little bit more percussion. But even at that point, I was doing my guitar thing. And I really got into like, choir and like studying music theory and i just i liked everything about music um and so i was singing in the choirs i was playing in the marching band and the concert band i was studying music theory i was writing music i was doing my jazz guitar thing i was playing guitar in the jazz band i was in my punk band i was just doing a, i was just doing a lot and and not a lot of like playing in the drum line was like very low on the level of interest um, but I got to a point where I was like, I really want to be a conductor. I want to become like a maestro. I had seen at the time, this would have been like 2006 or seven. There was a 60 Minutes episode that came out about Gustavo Dudamel, who is the music director of the LA Philharmonic. And he's this incredible story. This brilliant young man. I believe he's from Venezuela, but maybe we should double check that. I think that's what's right. But um, he you know, was conducting great orchestras and he was like 20 years old. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. I'm never going to be able to do that. I'm not like a genius like this guy. But I thought um, maybe I'll be a band director, like a high school band teacher. And I can um, conduct the band. And that'll sort of give me that experience of leading a large group. And I'll just teach band stuff. So I spoke can, to sorry, my... Can I ask, what, what was it about the being a conductor that attracted you like what what did you think what did why did that the idea of being a conductor interest you so much i think i just liked everything like i liked all the facets of music and so i thought like you know when some people are like oh i just love the french horn and i just every time i listen to a recording i just want to listen to the french horn i'm going to play the french horn i just I think with all of my theory study and the singing and I just felt like I don't know I want to be that person making the call for everything and like just leading and doing that whole thing I I, I think that's where that came from I mean it's interesting the, the different types of music that you were into and playing and doing at that point which was all over the map yeah but to also <laughs> but there's nothing there that said conductor or orchestral music yeah I, well so what happened was I it was, it really started with Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack. I don't know if you've seen that. Hans Zimmer wrote just like this super epic, really cool orchestral <laughs> score. And I, I remember listening to this in my room and like headbanging to it. Like I would my metal <laughs> bands. Like it, it made me feel the same way. And I thought that was really cool. And then... Through that, I found Shostakovich that was like kind of like that sort of music. And then I found Stravinsky and then I found Mahler and then Brahms and then Mozart. And I, but it all started with like the most intense, like epic uh, movie music. Yeah, Gustav Holst, The Planets. Like I had the score to that. I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with The Rite of Spring by Stravinsky, like really dramatic pieces of music. Um, and, and obsessed I, as a percussionist or obsessed as in which what instrument as a conductor I, I would like okay. listen to recordings and like conduct along and mark up my score like a conductor would 
Um, I had no training about this. It was more just what I kind of thought you would do, but I would literally just put my headphones on, put my score and like pretend that I was conducting an orchestra. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I just, I enjoyed the percussion. I enjoyed all of it, but I wanted to play the French horn in that part. And I wanted to play cello in that part. And then I'd play timpani there. And then I wanted to play the piccolo. And like, I just, I enjoyed all of it. Um, so w- what's interesting about that to me is I think it kind of makes sense how I actually ended up being a percussionist because what we do, especially playing timpani as well, there's so much, there's so much of playing percussion that's about connection with a different instrument than your own. Very rarely is the percussion part, the focal part. It is typically accompanimental. Uh, And like a single note might be the accompaniment that in the middle of some woodwind passage, we played these concerts this weekend where like the woodwinds would play these like ding, and I would just have a little triangle note at the top of it. But it was like the spark at the top of this line. And it felt, I understood how the urge to want to be a conductor, or at least what I thought was why I wanted to be a conductor, connected to me as a percussionist because it's about, it's about the other instruments. Of course, we care about what we do and, and I care so much about my sound, but I'm working on my sound so that I can best company that trumpet solo or that violin solo or something like that or lead from within with like a deep bass drum or timpani part um yeah so there is some connection there but i think it was at the time a little like misguided when i thought i wanted to be a conductor (laughs) okay so up until this point i mean obviously you have some musical theory you can read because of your guitar studies but the only connection to percussion is is maybe your work in the in the marching band. Exactly. So what happened at that point was when I decided I wanted to be a band director. I spoke to my band teacher at the time, and I was like, uh, "So what do I have to do?" And he said, "Well, if you want to be a band director, you have to play to get into like a music education program at a university. You have to play a band instrument. You have to audition on a, an instrument that's in the band, and guitar doesn't count." I was like, oh, crap. Okay. Um, How good of a guitar player were you? um, I was a natural, but I didn't work very hard at it. Um, So I was fine. I think I probably could have been awesome, but I didn't like, (laughs) I didn't like practicing guitar, but I would get, I'd get stuff really fast. And so my teachers, this poor guy, he was probably so frustrated by me. And when I told him I was going to stop playing guitar, he was kind of like, yeah. Okay. I get it. Cause I, I would just, I just so clearly, I, I would so clearly like phone in my lessons. I, I just, I'd practice like the hour before and then I'd get it good enough to come in and be like, yeah, I, I kind of learned this, but he could tell I was sort of, you know, fudging it. Um, and I think it was probably frustrating. Cause he was like, I know you only spent an hour on this. And if you had even just spent three over the whole week, it would have been like way better. Um, but I always pick things up quickly with that instrument. So it's just kind of a funny thing for me because I, I really think I, if I liked it more, I probably could have been studying jazz guitar at like a, a jazz school somewhere or something. But I just, I don't know, there's something about it that I, the kind of guitar playing that really moved me was, was like rock and roll and like punk rock and metal and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but I, I decided I needed to get a percussion teacher because I thought, all right, well, I play percussion and it's not like I'm going to be able to learn the clarinet in two years. Cause I was 16 <laughs> when I, when I, when I actually started studying percussion, I was 16 years old. So I was about a year and a half out from auditioning at universities. So I obviously had to kind of cut my losses and just pick what I thought was like the closest thing to what I could do. So I look up teachers in New Jersey. That's where I'm from. And, uh, and I'm like, okay, I just need this teacher to teach me a little percussion. I should be fine. And I found this guy. His name is Peter Sala. He and I are still friends, still in touch. And he like just absolutely smoked me for like a year and a half. Just kicked my butt every week. I cried after lessons. Like very, he was, he was still to this day. I, I mean, I've had some really special teachers, but in a lot of ways, I think of him as the most important because I probably wouldn't have ever met the ones that kind of shaped my professional career had I not met 
met this guy. So, but when when you said you wanted to study percussion, what instrument is that? Because I've seen you play the drums, and I've seen you play marimba and xylophone, and so what what do you actually go and study as a percussionist? Yeah. So what what was weird was I, I again I didn't really know I just thought like okay well I know how to play drums and I, that's all fine I just need someone to teach me marimba because I don't know how to play marimba so I searched marimba teacher actually and he was like yeah I mean I'm gonna teach you marimba but we're also gonna talk about snare drum and xylophone glockenspiel and multi-percussion setups and timpani and drum set so when you study percussion you study everything for for sure because it, it, it's that's the job like you're you're I mean last night I played timpani, cymbals, triangle, chimes, tambourine, xylophone, claves. Yeah. That was just last night. <laughs> next wow. Next week I'm just going to play timpani. The week after that, who knows what. Like it, it's it's just the job. You're you are a percussionist. You're not a xylophone player or a snare drum player. You you just, I mean, when I auditioned for the TSO, I think I had to play 10 or 11 different instruments in the audition. So I think of, I mean, I can, the drums, a drum kit or playing cymbals or playing timpani to me makes sense. But when it becomes xylophone, marimba, the glockenspiel, to me, that's something completely different. But you don't look at it that way. No, and, and I guess you're saying in the sense that these are pitched, pitched like melodic instruments. Um yeah, I, I, I don't because I, they involve sticks, you know, you're still, you're still using sticks. You're still, as we like to say, instead of hitting, we're striking things. I, I say, hitting, <laughs> who cares? I'm, I'm hitting something. <laughs> um, so how much, how much did your guitar playing background and the ability to read notes come into play when you started to pursue percussion? Other than learning how to read notated music and rhythm and everything i don't know how much it like directly connected but the fuel of my love for music and performing definitely carried over um but as far as like actually what i learned playing the guitar you know it's thinking about like you know my my modes and like learning how to improvise i mean I do love to improvise still on percussion instruments, but I'm not playing jazz usually. I'm, I'm usually improvising more on, in like compositions that I'm writing or more experimental music, things like that. Um, so strangely, I don't actually feel like there was a ton of overlap other than just the fundamentals of just learning how to read music. Okay, so you, your teacher's kicking ass for like a year and a half. You're getting beaten up every week. And 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 this is in every instrument. Did did some things come clo easier to you than other things? I think I probably thought that, but I don't think he did. <laughs> <laughs> like I think I thought like, oh yeah, I mean my snare drumming is fine, and he was like, yeah, I mean no, it's not. We need to work on that. But I would say the mallet instruments. So when you say marimba, xylophone, glockenspiel, we just call those mallet instruments or keyboard instruments. Those I felt further beyond, further behind on uh, on those instruments than like the drums and the tambourine and things like that. Okay, so when when we talk about those mallet instruments, what the thing that always amazes me is how when you're when you have two sticks in each hand and the distance between the two sticks vary depending on what notes you're playing. Yeah. Which is insane to me, like the way the control that you have to have of those two, two or maybe more sticks while you're playing. It, it, that is really why I looked for this teacher, because I was like, I have no idea how to hold four mallets. Um, you do get used to it, but it takes a long time. There are full books that are dedicated to that, to playing with four mallets. Um, there's like full schools of teaching with like terminology for the different types of strokes and how you use them, but you do kind of get used to it. And I chose a technique that there's a few different versions of how you can hold sticks that way. I personally decided on one 
that's actually very similar to just holding a drumstick and then you sort of slide an additional mallet into that grip and it feels very natural to me. Um, but you do have to get used to like these sort of like flipping motions in your hands where you're like opening and closing things. Um, and it is kind of tricky. I was just teaching a student some stuff about this yesterday and, and it, it was, uh, it's kind of hard to put into words, like how to really, cause now you have two sticks that you need to have support and strength in so that when you hit the instrument with the outside mallet or the inside mallet, they sound the same as opposed to like one is stronger and one is weaker. So you have to figure out how do you harness it. And it's really like a combination of a rotation in the hand and like using your fingers to like shift the sticks around. Whenever I watch somebody play, I just, I'm always amazed that they can do that and to constantly change the distance between the two mallets in each yeah. hand. Right. And like, it's yeah. so at this point at 16, you seek out this teacher. Do you know that this is what you're going to go into that you want to go into playing, being an orchestral percussionist? No, so we, we didn't even get there yet. We I'm I'm still at this point where I'm going to be a music education major, but I'm going to audition on percussion. And he's like, that's fine. Okay, we can do that. So he sets a few goals for me to audition for some like youth orchestras. And they're, they're in states, we call them like regional orchestras or like all state. And it's like the best high school age players in New Jersey then like put together an orchestra and then they put on like a week of a concert. And, you know, it's fun. So he's like, you're going to audition for these. This will be like what we kind of use as like your goals, your checkpoints. And I actually did quite well really early. Um, and by my second year of studying, I was the first percussionist for New Jersey. And then what's called the All Eastern, which is the 13 states of the on the coast. And so I was like, dang, okay, I I guess I'm for me, the thing that I think it was like, okay, I'm better at this than I was a guitar. Like that's what I kept thinking. <laughs> and um, he asked me, he said, would you actually consider not doing music education, but doing uh, per percussion performance, like just dedicated to playing these instruments as opposed to like teaching. And I was like, I guess I hadn't really thought about it. And so I decided to audition for both. Um, I was going to do some schools as music ed and some schools as performance, just to see, just to see what would happen. Cause I really didn't know what to expect. What, what was your, how much did you know about that world? Very little. Of Okay. Like very, very little. <laughs> and, and, and because you played in bands and marching bands, you're used to playing in front of people, but the idea of performing was something that came natural to you. Was you intimidated by it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm kind of like a showman. I'm, I'm sort of obnoxious and like, <laughs> I'm pretty outgoing. So I, I definitely, like I used to do musical theater in high school as well. I forgot to mention that. So I did all the musical theater every year and I wasn't in the pit. I was on stage singing and doing that kind of stuff. I like, I've always loved performing. I think from probably the age of like 10 or 11 maybe yeah, 11 or 12, I really started to feel empowered performing. Um, because frankly, I was, you know, I was bullied a lot as a kid, as a lot of people were, and it didn't make me feel very good. And I felt like I wanted to kind of hide. And, um, and then when I started this band, I felt suddenly very empowered to, to perform and, and, and actually felt like oh people want me out here and i i want to be out here as opposed to when i was younger and i was kind of in school and and sort of scared because people were picking on me and stuff um but yeah i remember the first show we played was at some weird bar like in my hometown for a bunch of like much older people and we were just like these kids on like an open mic night or something and <laughs> and people loved it and we did like i don't know we played a song or two and i think we covered like stairway to heaven but like a metal version of it, like, you know, and I just loved it. I was like belting and just having so much fun. And, and I, I really think I felt free and the, be the best I'd ever felt as a performer. And I think I just kind of got hooked to that feeling. Um, and then it sort of integrated into just who I am as a person now that I'm quite outgoing. And I, I like talking to people I don't know and, um, 
I just, yeah, I don't know. I like being out there, which was nice because when I was young, I really didn't. So I, I guess, sorry, before I rudely interrupted you, you had this two courses that you could go, either the, the teaching or the performing, and you apply for both. Well, and and I didn't even... Happened. I didn't even mention that I was also visiting culinary schools at the time, but we won't talk. <laughs> but I, I like thought maybe I want to be a chef, and so I decided ultimately like I'll always be able to cook. I can learn how to cook from cookbooks and things like that, but I don't think I can learn how to play music without like proper training. So I decided to scrap that idea. Um, Wait, but I do want to. <laughs> I do want to ask about that then. So. Were you into cooking at that point? Majorly. I, I love. I loved cooking. I used to watch Emerald. You know this guy, Emerald Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to watch yeah. him every night as a kid. Like I love cooking. He bam, you know that thing. I just, <laughs> yeah, I love that stuff. So I, I just was super into that, and I was in, really into food. And um, it's kind of interesting now because, like, to kind of come full circle, I on the side, truly just for my own enjoyment, I work at kind of like a high end cocktail bar, and I make cocktails and do like mixology stuff which i think is is sort of my adult version of get because it is very culinary it's very like technical and precise and it just happens to be drinks for people instead of food um and i think that's where that i still cook a ton but i really fell in love with that kind of stuff as i got a little bit older and i think that's me tapping into that thing i was like i also really wanted to do this but i could never like cook in a restaurant but I can bartend on my nights off. Um, but I'll, I'll, that's its own that's its own story. I'll, I'll answer your question about the two paths. I auditioned at these schools, one of which was the Manhattan School of Music, which is uh, just south of where Harlem starts in, in Manhattan, New York. And uh, I was auditioning for these people that I honestly didn't really know. I, I kind of was like, oh, that guy's like in a New York Phil, I think. And and that guy plays some timpani at the opera or something. I don't know. So I kind of went into this audition like, yeah, hey, hey guys, how's it going? And I'll never, so, I mean, I, I would turned out to be auditioning for some of the most prolific players that have lived in my field. And they're also just nice people. So I didn't really get that vibe, but I'll never forget this guy. His name is Chris Lamb, who I would say is my greatest influence as a, as a player. I studied with Chris Lamb for six years at Manhattan School. I did undergraduate and master's. And you work with the full faculty there. And I learned a lot from everybody, but he's definitely the person who I <clears throat> took the most from. He's looking at me in this audition, like, what's up with this kid? Like he's, <laughs> he's oddly comfortable, but not very good. Like for the standard that they were used to seeing at that school. But then he, he just, he, I'd finish and he'd just be looking at me very confused <laughs> And then he'd ask me like a really, really major question uh, in terms of, can you play this again very differently? Like with this, these, these things and lower your drum six inches and play it more relaxed and with a longer line. And I was like, sure, whatever. I, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't really have an opinion. I was like, and I would do it. And, and then he'd again, just kind of look at me like, what's, what are you? Like, who are you? <laughs> and so what I, what ended up happening, I got accepted into the school. Uh, they gave me a really generous scholarship, which was like a huge deal. My family was like relieved, obviously. And, and, uh, and, and then I went there and I then realized I was super behind. I really was on a different level than everybody else there on at the low end. Um, and I was stressed and I got, I was kept getting injured because I was working too hard. And I think the teachers didn't really know what to think of me until maybe my second year when I, I stayed in New York for the summer, I worked at the school and I just like worked on technique, like really simple approach to technique. And then I came back the next year and things started to get going. So I stayed in that school and, and by my senior year, you, you get an opportunity to look at your entrance audition comments just for your own curiosity. <laughs> And right. I had like pretty low scores. It was like threes out of five across the board, which typically would not mean that someone was going to get accepted into the program. But the comment at the bottom was like, this person has so much potential. Their, their technique is not developed, but they are very, very flexible. And they take to, to ideas and criticism really quickly I think we should accept them. Like they seem like a really interesting project basically. And uh, 
So, so to, to go from that to now when I have weeks off at the TSO, obviously this is when seasons are more normal and we're not dealing with the ends of this, the pandemic and everything. Right. I, I'm getting calls from this guy asking me to come and play at the New York Phil as an extra percussionist when they need more players. So to be, go from like, what's up with this weird kid who doesn't really know how to play, but he kind of does, to like, hey, are you free in March to come play this concert with us? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I'll go to New York and play with him. It's just kind of a crazy loop that ended up happening. That I like share this stage with this person now. Is it is it because you didn't know this, not the severity, but when you did the audition, you were very relaxed about it? I mean, how much did that have to do with the fact that you actually got in? The, 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 I was going to use the word fearlessness, but that sounds too, that's like too positive. It, it was um, ignorance or, or yeah, or, or naivety. It will call it, we'll say is that it wasn't that I was fearless. I was clueless. And so I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't really be, if I couldn't really be afraid because I didn't really know what to be afraid of. And actually it was so interesting because as I started to learn more, I, I started to become aware of like the things that could go wrong. And I had to always battle with like the stage stress because it was like, well, now that I'm really thinking about it, like this is actually really hard. But I kind of just went for it and didn't really care. For example, so the, the marimba has a varying range. There's different size marimbas out there. The, the biggest one typically is a five octave, which a five octave marimba is like eight feet long. It's, it's freaking massive. That was what, when we recorded, that was what that yeah. was. It's very, very large. Um, I didn't have that. Obviously, my parents got like a cheaper, smaller one, which was amazing that they were even willing to, to do that for me because they were very confused by the whole percussion thing. They were like, oh, <laughs> what? A marumba? What are you talking about? But they were they were kind of blindly supportive, which I really appreciated. And um, I kept doing well in like school and I do well at these auditions for these region bands. And so they were kind of like, okay. I don't get this, but like, he seems to be good at it and he's getting like recognition for it. So let's just kind of let, let this pan out and we'll see what happens. Um, but I, I had prepared this Bach cello piece on the smaller marimba, which meant that I had to play it up the higher octave, um, which is fine. That happens a lot. You just trans transpose it up one octave and, uh, when I got to Manhattan school to audition, I got into the warm-up room and I was like, wow, a five octave marimba. Like I've never, <laughs> I've never seen one of these. This is so cool. And I played the cello piece on the low octave and I was like, oh, this sounds way better. I'm gonna do it in, and do it in the audition. And I, I'm telling you, like the bars vary by like an inch each at that point. Like it's significantly different in terms of what note what the size of the notes are so it felt felt very different to play it but i barely noticed because i hadn't even spent enough time at the high end of it to really have like that <laughs> strong muscle memory and and so i just went in and like played at the low octave and there and i didn't tell them i did that until like i don't know i was 28 years old i was like do you know that i in my audition i just switched octaves because i felt like it they're like man you're so weird um <laughs> But I, I think that was this kind of clueless fearlessness that I had because I just there, nothing could ever hurt me at that point. I just think I didn't really realize how intense things were. So when you realized that you were way behind everybody else in that first year, how did you overcome that? What did that feeling, what did that feel like for you? And then, then how do you overcome it? It was pretty nerve wracking. Um, and, and some people weren't really very nice about it too. Uh, like they're just like, Oh, you don't know that. Pfft, like, how are you even here? Kind of thing. Like I definitely dealt with some stuff like that. And I was kind of like, I, I don't know what I'm here. So like you and I are the same. So I don't know. Um, and I would say the first two years I felt like I was a little confused struggling a little bit, but I was also, I was in New York, you know, I was every week going to see incredible live performances and dance and art and food. And I just, to, to me that going to that school in that city was yes about the education, but also just you know, the school of life, you know, just getting to experience a place like that. It was probably the greatest thing that I've gotten to do was live in that city. 
So at this point, are you thinking that you are a performer? You're going in for performance, and you're yes, more so than teaching. Def, uh, the teaching thing was scrapped at that point. They had no education program there. It's just a performance school. I had asked to double major in composition because I was composing a lot too, but they um, didn't. They don't allow that. Like you have to specialize and it's pretty common at, at what we call like conservatories, which are like private university level music schools. The point is to rein in the one thing. And I, I think it's great because you see this a lot. You see performers who are, are too good at too many things that they never actually get good enough at the one thing to ever break through. You just see these right. people, these multi-talented people who just, yeah, I can do this, this, and that. Um, but you need to sometimes specialize. Some people can do it all. I, I, I needed to specialize at that point to be able to be successful. But specializing still meaning playing multiple, multiple instruments. Yeah, but like specialize in fo- like as a percussion performer. While I was a student, I had like fully committed at this point to being a performing percussionist. Now the question was, what type of performing percussionist? Do I want to be an orchestral player or do I, I really got into playing contemporary music and world premieres and like funky modern pieces. Do I want to do that and like focus on those two things. I also played in the Afro-Cuban band playing like auxiliary percussion maracas and bongos and clave and things like that. Um, really into Brazilian percussion. Um, but that the four years of my undergraduate were sort of dedicated to me deciding what direction I wanted to go. And every year I feel like I changed. It's like, I want to do orchestral. No, I want to play modern music. No, I want to do orchestral. And my, I set a goal. I was like, I just really want to go to Tanglewood. I want to get invited to the Tanglewood Academy, which is like a summer program. Right. Um, and they do both. It's like an orchestra thing, but you do play modern music there. And then I wanted to go to the Lucerne Festival in Switzerland, which is just modern music. And those were kind of my goals. And before I graduated, I, I did get into both, um, which felt like a huge accomplishment. But at that time, I had to decide what I was going to do for graduate school, which is really where you truly specialize. And I decided to get a grad degree specifically to prepare for orchestra auditions and like orchestral playing. Okay, so at that point, and now you, you obviously played with orchestras, how much do you know about the life of an orchestra player at that point i had a pretty good idea and that was where the the interest came from for me because my thinking was okay i want to play this modern music but if i'm going to play modern music that's very much going to be the life of a freelancer where you're hustling playing gigs loading equipment all over the place and i thought if i can land an orchestra job and get stability and salary and just kind of be settled somewhere I'll have the time to compose and write modern music. I thought like, and, and play modern music and do that kind of stuff. So my thinking was like, if I can get this stability and this like set thing, then the time that I have in between, I can do the other thing I wanted to do. Okay, so the fact that you set these goals to play in Lucerne and to also play in Tanglewood, and you were able to achieve that, I don't know with much difficulty or with ease but you were able to attain those dreams what is it about you that allowed you to get those have those dreams come true i i certainly i mean the the obvious answer is i practiced a lot i worked very hard um but i also think and maybe this this is where it'll tie back into some of my earlier experiences I think I thought about and in some ways still think about music a little differently than the typical person that might be approaching one of those auditions strictly because it started at a, in a very different place for me. It started with rock and roll and jazz and choir. And I just, there were so many other elements that, have, and I think there's just, I end up playing music in a way that whoever I was auditioning for, I enjoyed because it was maybe, I don't want to say that it was unique. I think if you listen to me side by side to another player who got into one of these programs, like, I don't know, maybe they, maybe we sound exactly the same, but 
I just think the way I thought about stuff helped me prepare in a way that just made things feel quite natural when I would play. Um, and I, and I, and this is, this is why I like telling my story because I really think having more experience than just like the standard pedagogy for your instrument in terms of more experience in music will only help people be better at playing orchestra instruments. You just, you just want to experience all the music you can. And I think it makes such a difference. So the last time when we recently worked together, it was for you, you, you played a composition you had written, the aviary. When did the composition side come into play? I think I wrote my first piece. Oh, yeah. I, I wrote, I started writing choral music when I was like 15 or 16. I was writing like a cappella choir stuff. And I actually won some competitions with like my choral pieces. Uh, and then I wrote an orchestra piece that, I mean, like it wasn't very good, but my high school played it and it was really cool. And <laughs> I wrote some percussion music and then I would just, I don't know, I just write stuff for fun. I have, I have pages and pages of just sketches and uncompleted things, but honestly, it really started to come back in a way that I was completing pieces when the pandemic came around. Um, I just had more time. And is it always with the marimba? Is that how you compose? Oh, uh, no. I mean, I'll, I'll it, I kind of compose with whatever I have around, honestly. Um, like, I have a vibraphone at home here. So I wrote the aviary, start, sort of started it on vibes, but I just mostly wrote it by hand. Um, and I use like some notation software when it started to get too complicated that like the MIDI could help me make sure that like stuff made sense. Um, is that. Because you just hear it in your head? Is that the way it works? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, just to, uh, to some degree. Like, I, I think I, when I write something, I hear it in my head maybe like 70%. But because I don't compose a ton, that idea of then like manifesting that into a complete piece is not super dialed in yet. So then I like I feel like I wrote most of the aviary. It just kind of like happened. And then finishing it took like a month. Cause I just, I started to like hit, I hit a wall or something. Um, and that's how I used to write rock music too. It just like kind of go and come. And then if I like lost, it was like, oh crap, it's gone. I lost it. And, and then I'd have to like really methodically try to put the rest of it together to finish it. So last year when I first met you and we watched, we shot you playing with a brass band, you were playing the set of drums. Mm -hmm. And I wondered that I often didn't see drummers or drum kits at an orchestra how much do you actually play a drum kit and then i guess the other question is do you ever go back to your rock or your punk music days like is that still an interest to you oh yeah oh yeah i got two guitars and a two ukuleles <laughs> on the wall over there um and and again pandemic i started to play guitar again and i bought like a crappy squire telecaster <laughs> Just because I wanted an electric guitar here. I had sold all of my guitars over the years because I um, needed money to buy percussion stuff. And same thinking, oh, if I get an orchestra job, I can buy a guitar that I actually really want. Um, but yeah, I started to work on my guitar playing and my songwriting again over the pandemic. And I was just so humbled at like, how hard that is to write good songs. I have some stuff I kind of recorded, but I haven't finished any of it. Um, and as far as drum set goes... Yes, I play the drum set. I love playing the drum set, but I that'll be the that'd be the last thing I would list when I say I play. And the reason for that is like, yeah, I played it was fine on the brass concert. I I needed to like prepare a good bit for that. Um but where I went to school, I was at Manhattan School of Music. I my practice room that I always used was right next door to John Riley. It's like drum set player for the village vanguard band he's like one of the greatest drummers alive and also and also a super nice guy and we would chat all the time and his students were all like down that hallway so i'm coming in to like practice tambourine or whatever and i'm just hearing these guys playing like unbelievable uh, guys and gals unbelievable things on on the drum set like just in insane to me and it, it would it felt like a different instrument than whatever i could do it i don't know how this works but okay you wound up playing with the the um, new world symphony in miami mm -hmm. 
And at one point or another, in 2018, you came to Toronto, the Toronto Symphony, to audition. How do you decide? I, I know you've played with a lot of different symphonies, but how do you decide which orchestra to audition for? You decide by whoever's having an audition. Because as a percussionist, there are not a lot of positions. So any given year, you might get two or three shots at a job. And at one of those auditions, there might be 60 or 70 or 100 people there for the one position. And so you don't really pick where you audition. You just go where there are auditions, um, which is kind of wild to think about. Um and I also feel super fortunate that I ended up in the place that I am because I've also been runner up. I won't say where, but in cities that I hate and I really think are strange in maybe, maybe in a state like, we'll just say like maybe somewhere in Texas. Um, I'll leave it right. at that. But like I, I went because I wanted the job. I wanted the stability of an orchestra job more than I wanted to pick where I was going to live. Um, and so you just, you just go to the auditions. There are certain auditions. I just, after a while I started to not take because frankly, I was making more money freelancing than I would have as like a salaried musician for like a smaller orchestra. And it felt like I don't, I'm already kind of past that. So I don't really want to do that. Um, but yeah, you just go where the positions are posted <laughs> Okay, so what's the mindset when you go into, an, and I've heard other people talk about this, but when you go and audition for an orchestra that has 80 other people auditioning, like, or 100 people, I know you have no control over what they do, but how do you deal with that as a musician yourself to, to attend an orchestra of that size? Yeah, it's, so you kind of said it, I have no control over what the other players do. And that's kind of an interesting thing because ultimately you have a lot of control as far as your fate to some degree, because you, you could play amazingly and a committee might just not like it. And that's, that's that. And you can't do anything about that, but it's very similar in, in a lot of aspects to like playing a like golf or something where you're it's, it's you and the ball or you and the, this drum and you have the time to like, make it happen yourself. No one's trying to tackle you or, you know, take, push you up against the boards. Like you're, you just, it's just between you and the instruments. And so that requires a lot of, I mean, as, as it's required in sports, but like you, you're really battling your own mind to be able to do these auditions well. And I spent a lot of time working on that, like finding strategies to frankly prevent me from getting anxious and bombing in an audition. And um, I came up with some systems that worked really well that I, I was like consistently, before I won the TSO audition, I had, I think I had taken like 12 auditions and they're in multiple rounds. And like, so it's prelims, semis, finals, and sometimes like one more little round after that. I usually would at least make it to the semifinals and before the TSO, the last five auditions I had taken, I was a finalist. So I was like in the final three or four. And so it was, uh, it, I knew I was like on track. I knew that like my system was working and the way I was playing was pleasing different orchestras. So it was kind of like universally acceptable. Do you have any idea what the orchestra sounds like before you actually get into it? Like, And is there a big difference to you know, the Chicago orchestra or the Milwaukee orchestra or the whatever, like, is it, is it different because of the size, because of the venue, because of the conductor, or is it somewhat similar because of the instrumentation? It, I think it's very different. I think the the sounds between orchestras are really distinct. And I think especially when you get to the really big orchestras, New York, Chicago, Boston, Philly, Cleveland, LA, like they have a, a sound that is really distinct. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the hall, the history, the conductor, like there's these other factors. When I auditioned for Toronto, I listened to some recordings, but I, at that point had decided however the orchestra plays, that's fine. I'm going to just play how I play. 
because a lot of people when I was younger would say, well, you got to match how the percussionist play in that orchestra. I'd be like, okay, okay. And then I would do it and I felt awkward. I felt not quite like myself. And I think it came through in my playing and people were like, this is fine, but it doesn't feel natural. And so I was thinking I'd rather get hired somewhere where it's me and they hired me for me and not hiring me for someone that I was trying to be kind of thing. And then how long does it take? I mean, it's weird because because of what we've gone through in the last two years. But when you joined in 2018, how long does it take for you to feel part of the orchestra or that you not not that you don't belong, but how long does it feel like you're part of it? As opposed to the new person. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I... Within the first year and a half, I still felt a little uneasy. Um, like, I play, I play fine, but, you know, you just don't quite feel your best. Um, I was anxious, you know, I was worried with... Because you have to get tenure as an orchestral musician. And you have an 18-month probationary period. But myself and a few of my other colleagues who joined the same year as me ran into this weird problem where the pandemic hit and they froze the tenure process. And so I'm now in my fourth season and I still don't have tenure because they waited until things were like back to normal so they could make a final call. My vote, my final vote, I think, is in a couple of weeks, and ho- hopefully that all works out okay. But I won't really know until until the vote happens. Having said that, I, at the very least, feel more comfortable after the pandemic because I feel like I had time to like get settled in the city and in myself and in this new life. And when we got back to playing, I think I felt like more comfortable and confident. Um, after having like that little break. Um, and, and so hopefully my colleagues feel the same way. I'll find out in a few weeks, I guess. <laughs> so you recently had performed live in front of an audience for the first time in 19 months or whatever. What was that like? Awesome. It was freaking awesome. It's the best. It was so cool to just see everybody and have those moments where you just make eye contact with that, maybe a friend or a stranger and hearing the reactions of people from the audience with something shocking. It was just, oh, it was amazing. I can't wait. I have four more concerts next week. I can't wait. <laughs> and does it feel like very quickly, does it feel like you never left? Or is it is it going to take a while for the orchestra to be as one? I, I think we sounded pretty good this week, honestly. I, I, I was joking with my colleagues in the percussion section. La- not last night, it's the night before felt fine but a little like a little jittery because we just hadn't done it in so long and then last night everyone just felt like comfortable and it was fun and and it was a nice moment of like yeah we can we can do this we're we're, we got this it's fine (laughs) so going forward is the schedule pretty much very similar to what it used to be yeah um i mean so we have another program next week uh and that'll be with Peter Unjin, uh, who's a former music director. And interestingly enough, the person who hired me, but I've never played with him after the week that he hired me. <laughs> like he hired me and that was his last week as music director. And that was it. And I left and then I came back and we, I never saw him again. So I'll be, it'll be nice to see him this week to be like, hey man, thanks for the job. <laughs> um, but be- I always wonder though, with that many people, and we're talking like 80 to 100 people in the orchestra, right? Like, do you get to actually talk to Peter and say thank you? I mean, I mean, oh, yeah. is there... I mean, I'll, I'll make, I can, I'll catch him on a break at his office and just, I'm not going to talk to him for long, but I will have a chance to just go and say, hi, it's great to see you again. Like, I, that was a really great week when we met, and now we can actually play some music together. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up, but I want to ask you so that kid who decided, yeah, maybe I'll be in the orchestra to now being a part of the Toronto Symphony Orchestra. What's that journey been like for you? Very humbling. And, and, and maybe, you know, I speak about things in a very direct way and maybe I come off really confident or something and, and arrogant. I'm not really sure. 
I get mixed reviews from people about that, but <laughs> I, I think that journey has shaped me as a person uh, in a way that I don't think I ever could have um, experienced had I not chosen to try to win an audition because that requires such a level of introspection, both as a player and as a person. And it's really hard to just look at yourself like that and be able to look at yourself as a player and think that wasn't good enough. And you need to figure out how without getting so dark about it that you can't do it. And I may, I'll leave, I'll end with, I think probably one of the most inspirational things that was ever said to me uh, by a percussionist who's in the Cleveland Orchestra now. Uh, his name is Tom Sherwood. Uh, he and I worked together in Miami. I've known him for years. He's actually best friends with Charles Settle, the principal, because they used to play in the Atlanta Symphony together. Tom it was the first teacher I worked with who really prioritized talking about mental health and that side of playing. A lot of people don't talk about that, which is so screwed up because it's so important in this space. And he just brought up this co concept to me that he called confidence with grace. And it, it, essentially the idea is you need to understand your value and, and where you will have strengths while recognizing where you need to improve and how to improve. And it just gave me this clear idea of I can play well. I know I can play well. I also know I can play better instead of it either being I'm really good or I'm really bad. It was, yeah, you're doing good. You're doing well. You're playing fine. People like it. Now, how do you not lose sight of the fact that even in your strong playing, how could it, it could be better. You could do everything better. Um, that really shaped, shaped me. And I think I will think like that till the day that I die, that there will always be something that could improve, but in a healthy way, in a like, uh, let's enjoy the journey of this as opposed to thinking, okay, I I'm good. I'm done. I figured it out now. I think that's, if you're an artist and you think like that, you've, that's the end of anybody growing and being creative and developing in their field, whether it be a painter or a tattoo artist or a percussionist or a rock band. The second you think we did it, we've got it. Let's just keep doing that. You've hit your wall. Well put. I, I did lie. I want one more question. If yeah, you don't sure. mind. No problem. <laughs> um, you're, you're somebody who obviously set, spent, set goals for yourself and, and have achieved many of those goals. So this, I promise this is the last question. No, do you still have goals? Do you have, do you have goals looking forward? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, right now the, the goal is, I, I, I really hope I can get tenure in a few weeks. That's like very much the, the focus right now. Does that mean I'm acting any differently at work? No, I, I tried to hold that standard since I started and I'll hold the same standard if I'm granted tenure. I just, right. it, it, but it's on my mind more. Um, beyond that, there are certain things that right now I can't really, they're kind of out of my control. But uh, yeah, I, I, I hope to, on a very service level, just keep developing as a player um, in a way that I can truly feel good about, that I'm always putting an effort to listen to myself with fresh ears and be critical of myself in a rational way. Uh, but also, I think as an educator now, I teach a good bit. I teach the Toronto Symphony Youth Orchestra percussion section. And I have some students in town. And that to me is the real challenge. Like playing is hard enough, but to try to help someone else play well is is unbelievably difficult. And so I think those are the types of things that I um, am really thinking about right now is how can I be as good a teacher as I am a, an auditioner or a player, um, all while also trying to improve my, my playing. Wow. Joe, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Um, it's a pleasure working with you, doing the videos, and it's a pleasure getting to know you. 
Yeah, that this was awesome. Uh, thanks so much for having me. I'm really glad we got to do this. Well, thank you. Thank you.